Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll move on this listener right now in your gentle, loving, powerful, and merciful way as they listen to this message from All Nations Church in Tallahassee. Amen. Bill and Gretchen are missionaries to Belgium. Uh, They're longtime friends of this house. We have supported them for years. Matter of fact, we support them more in finances than any other missionary we support because of the work they're doing and how powerful it is, uh, not only in Belgium, but across Europe and around the world as he trains leaders. Rachel, would you stand up, please? Uh, Rachel is with The Awakening, where three of our girls will be going next summer. She's stationed in Hungary, and they'll be working with Rachel and other members of The Awakening this summer. And then Ryan, would you stand up, please? He's with YWAM, Youth with a Mission, doing missions around the world, just returned from Thailand, so we're glad you're here. And Gretchen, would you stand and let us welcome you this morning? We're so glad the whole family was able to come to all nations today. Amen? Welcome. Pastor Bill, come this morning. Bring God's word for us, please, and open your hearts, open your minds. Let me remind you we're in no hurry. Nobody's going to starve to death. There'll still be food when you get to the restaurant. So let's sit back, listen, and receive the living word of God. All right. I asked him what time are we normally done. He said, don't worry about it. That's a, that's a dangerous thing. Amen. I was sitting, uh, have you guys ever seen a guest speaker that brings his own chair? I've got an issue in my knee. You guys can be praying for me on the 13th of this month. We, get, we leave for Thursday, go back home to Belgium, and uh, on the 13th I've got an MRI on my knee. So they're thinking it's a torn meniscus. And I made a promise that I would take it easy on this trip. So uh, brought my own chair. Kind of like it, Pastor. Got three of these in Belgium as well at our churches there. So um, I found myself sitting here today in worship and I just begin to pray, God, have your way. Because uh, I don't want to be in his way. Come on, somebody. You guys know the best preacher is always the Holy Ghost. Amen. I'm be grateful for pastors that are going to make room for the presence of God. Come on, folks. I. I wrote, a, I wrote a piece about the Asheville revival, the Asbury revival, I should say. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was asked what my response was to that. And folks, I just got to say, I don't, I don't know if any of you guys know what's going on. I mean, there was a, a spirit-led revival, sovereign move of God broke out at Ashbury. And I hope I can say this. I know you're live streaming, Pastor. I hope I can say this. I think what's astounding to me is the fact that it happened at a, Methodist seminary, and if you know what's going on in the United Methodist Church right now, there is a small window that they have been given. Churches are voting to either stay or leave because of their stances on moral issues. That's all I'll say about that. But I will say that the stance that they're taking is very unbiblical. And there was what a lot of people don't realize is that there had been a group of young men praying small group of young men praying and that just happened to spill over in their chapel service and it went on for weeks of people just being in the presence of god and i think what's really interesting to me is that the three components was that it was young people going after jesus come on somebody i also think that it's it's interesting that it was 
done at it, what the God moved in the midst of repentance and worship. Repentance and worship, repentance and worship. And folks, this is a pattern. This is a pattern that we'll see. You will find, if you look through, through uh, history, going all the way back to the day of Pentecost, 120 gathered together to seek God, and God moved. And you know what the Bible tells us? It tells us that the church has been added to every single day since that moment because a small group of people gathered together to say, Lord, have your way. Have your way. And, and listen, it was in the midst of persecution that that happened. A lot of people don't realize that. Jesus had just been crucified. They're gathering together to find out what are we going to do. But how many of you know when we humble our hearts before God? I mean, I think the scripture says something about that. Amen. If we humble ourselves before his face, if we seek him, turn from our wicked ways, then what? He hears our prayers. It's a biblical pattern when you look at the, at the day of, uh, at the Azusa Street Revival, those of you guys that have studied that, there was a small group of people in a house on Bonnie Bray Street that began to have Bible study and pray, and they began to seek God. In fact, it got so fervent at one point, there's one testimony where the front porch of the house fell in because of, of the atmosphere that was there for the amount of people that was there, but it was still a small amount of people. That revival lasted for three years. There are denominations today that have splinted off of that, that revival that happened in the early 1900s at Azusa Street. How many guys are familiar with that? Amen. And so I just think it's ironic. Listen, keep going after Jesus. Young people, lead the way. Lead the way. Keep going after Jesus. See? It's amazing what God will do. I also think it's ironic that this revival happens uh, in the midst of the fact that this movie, Jesus Revolution, I haven't gone, I, want, I was going to see it the other day, but my wife couldn't go. I want to see it with her. But folks, I'm telling you, I don't know if you've heard the testimonies, but there, there have been prayer meetings in theaters after the movie has been shown. God is up to something, and I just want to be a part of what he's doing. Come on, folks. Listen, my dream... My dream, when I, when I began to preach the gospel, my dream was to wear a nice pinstripe suit and have nice rings on my hand and be on TBN and be the next televangelist. Come on now. But I've kind of learned, I'm 51 years old, and I've just kind of learned, I stopped asking God to be a part of my plans, and I started asking if I can be a part of his. The greatest message of the gospel is that a God that saw all of our sins stepped out of eternity and into time to live among us, to show us how to live, to love us, to exemplify in front of us, and then to die a horrible death so that he paid you the prize so you and I don't have to pay. That's the greatest message of the gospel. But the second greatest message is this. He's called us to tell others about him. Come on, folks. There is purpose for your life. There's a reason why you live but you'll never find that without the first reason why you live, and that is to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We're first worshipers, and then we're doers. And why am I saying that? Because here what time, here, here's what happens every time a revival that God works out, every time a revival that God moves in, something happens after that. He starts calling people. He starts speaking to people. He starts sending people out. I just wrote my thesis on the Moravian movement, the Moravian missions movement. My, I just finished my third master's, which is a master of theology with the emphasis of missions. 
And often William Carey is considered the father of modern day missions, and rightly so. However, 60 years before William Carey stepped into the mission scene, the Moravians, who came out of a persecuted situation for hundreds of years, they began to run. They ended up in Poland and in Germany. They connected with a man by the name of Count von Zinzendorf. And they, uh, they began to have community meetings. Now, I'm not going to give you the whole lesson, but I am going to tell you this. They ended up becoming strife. They ended up becoming bickering and fighting because all these people from different movements started coming together. And Zinzendorf went from house to house to each house and led them into a prayer of repentance. And so they finally gathered together for prayer. And here's what it said. Now, folks, these are not Pentecostal people, okay? But here's what it said. It said that it, we had this warm, fuzzy feeling that came over us. It's the same thing that John Wesley said after he encountered the Moravians. And they said we could not separate the fact that we could, didn't understand if we were in heaven or still on earth. And out of that launched a hundred-year prayer revival. A hundred years of 24-hour-a-day prayer revivals. Lord, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. It came, out of, it came out of a season of repentance. It came out of a season of worship. And so I just want to encourage you as a church, seriously, I, 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 my wife sat down and I said, I don't know what to do. This is a move of God that's happening here. How many of you guys, again, are grateful for pastors that say, Lord, this move, we'll get out of your way. Just do it. Amen. I will say one of the, one of the most impressing things with, Ash, with Asbury is the fact that they knew when to let it stop. I mean, guys, no, we can't, we can't fudge for God. Amen. There's a season of soaking. There's a season of getting in his presence. But then there's a season to go and do. Amen. And so I, I'm just, folks, I'm with you guys today. And I'm so excited about what God is doing in your church. And those of you who are, might be visiting for the first time, you're at a good place. You're at a good place right here. God is going to continue moving. Amen. Amen. You know what? I'm going to skip straight to the message today, if that's all right. And I, I do have a few things I was going to share with you guys about missions work. Just let me say that God is moving. We're so grateful. We just moved into a new building in our main campus. And it's also housing our Bible college and our network offices. We're so grateful for that. And we're so, so grateful for your partnership and what we do. Listen, folks, we, we, say, we share this all the time because people don't realize that for us to live in Belgium, we have to prove that our finances come from outside of Europe. They don't want us taking European jobs away. So we can't do what we do without you. So thank you guys so much. I'm going to talk about it a little bit in the meeting today, but listen, every single person in this room today, you're called to missions. Every single person you're called. So if God has not called you to go, then he's called you to send. And you send through your finances, you send through your prayers, you send through bringing short-term teams that come and partner with what God is doing around the world. So you guys have an exemplary church. This church is, we have two churches that, that, that are our highest financial supporting churches, two churches um, that are our highest, and this church is one of those two. They give the same amount every month. We're so grateful. The other one is in North Carolina, but more importantly, in both churches, we have an excellent relationship with the pastors. I'm so grateful for, for, um, for the Gleetons as well and, 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 this, and the encouragement you guys give us. It's not just finances. There's a partnership that comes together with what God is doing. Everything that God is doing in Europe, you guys are a part of it. 
everything at least he does through us. And, and I'm just so grateful. It's very rare these days that the four of us, our family unit, could be worshiping together. In fact, it's very rare we're all in the same country at the same time. Uh, a couple years ago, Gretchen and I became empty nesters. I mean, we just didn't know what to do with ourselves. The first couple months, we had a party. Come on, somebody. And, um, but we're so proud of our kids and our adult children. Our, I don't know what to call them. Man, my young people uh, that are doing their thing. So proud of them. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, we're going to begin in verse 14. And I'm going to lay a little bit of the foundation. I'll tell you up front that this is... Uh, a word that I've been sharing, I've only preached two messages in the last three and a half weeks that we've been here in the States, and this has been the primary message, because I feel it's my word for the church right now. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 4, it says, Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he knew himself, for, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in the number of 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples. And the disciples to those sitting down. And likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled the baskets with the fragments of the, of the five loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is coming into the world. Father, we love you. We thank you today for your presence. We thank you for already visiting us today. We ask you to continue to be among us. Lord, I pray that even the one that's holding the microphone is speaking. Lord, we pray it's your voice that we hear. Lord, we want to leave this place differently than we came in. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Give your neighbor a fist bump real quick and say, Pastor Bill's wife is good looking. Come on now. You know it's true. <laughs> I, just, I just got that wife nod, that, that shaking the head, closing her eyes. This passage of scripture has captivated me over the last few weeks. And in fact, if you read this story, you'll find that in Matthew 14, Mark chapter 6 and John chapter 6, both talk about the, uh, the Jesus feeding of the 5,000. It's also mentioned in John. But we, there's another place as well in Matthew chapter 8 where it wasn't 5,000, but it was 4,000. But it was a very similar situation where he took bread and he blessed it and he multiplied it and fed 4,000. I'm gonna tie both of those together today because I think it'll encourage us uh, that God is calling us to be a part of the nations. And you'll see why in just a moment. But beyond the, the fact that 
this miraculous thing happened, and I love the fact that Jesus said, gather up the fragments so that none are lost. Beyond all of that, I think there's something that we need to learn, and there's two premises that I want to set before we get further into the message. And the first thing is this, you need to realize that everything that Jesus did, he did for example. Think about it, everything he did, he did for example. If Jesus was baptized, how many believe we should be baptized? And on more than one occasion, Jesus went way out of his way to, to unpopular places such as Samaria to meet a woman at the well. He defended an adulterous woman. He told a parable about how a Samaritan helped someone in neglect when a Levi and a priest wouldn't do it. How many guys know that everything he taught and everything he said was for example? Nothing changes in this text that we just read. And in fact, Jesus often taught in parables. That's the second thing I want you to see. He often would teach in parables where he would take a natural story, something that could have happened, and apply a spiritual truth to our life. And so when we read this text, although it's not a parable, we will see this pattern that everything he's done, everything he did, he did for our example, and that we will begin to see symbolic things in this text, in this story, in fact, in all four Gospels, where it talks about him multiplying bread to feed the masses, you'll see that there's things that we can learn from him. One of the things that I teach, and I work for a university in addition to what I do, I'm I serve on the board of directors of a school called New Covenant International University, and I serve as one of their adjuncts. One of my primary courses that I teach is hermeneutics. And hermeneutics is how to study the Bible. One of my other courses is homiletics, which is how to preach the gospel, how to, how to communicate his word. And one of the things that I teach in those classes is this, is that often we have to narrow down the principle. Everybody say principle. We have to narrow down the principle of what's being communicated, because here's the thing. How many of you guys know that the Bible and everything that happened in it was from a long time ago in a different culture, in a different context, but it still has value for us today. So it's what we call what we call it is when we find the truth, we call it contextualization. Contextualization is how do we take an ancient truth and apply it to the present day culture? So you have to find the principle. His word still has value in our life today. And I'm just going to tell you, folks, I'm going to be bold about it. Listen, I, I've been listening to Jim Cimbala. Uh, if some of you guys might know who he is from Book and Tabernacle, he's, he's written a new book, 80 years old. This guy's still going strong. He's written a new book. And one of the things he said in there is that the gospel has not lost its power. You want to you see a church grow? Preach the gospel. It has not lost its power. Come on, somebody. And so his principles has not lost its power. If it worked then, it'll work now. You believe that? Amen. So there are some things that I want to give us today, some things that we can learn from this situation, how Jesus saw a need. One of the most important things that you'll see is in Mark chapter 6, as well as um, Mark chapter 6 and in, in, in Matthew 14, in the same text, here's what it says. It says, when Jesus saw the people, he was moved with compassion. When he saw the masses, he was moved with compassion. How many of you guys know if we're ever going to do anything significant for God, we have to see people the way he sees them? And he sees them with compassion. Come on, folks. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm going to listen. Y'all don't have to have me back, all right? But I'm just going to, tell, I'm going to share it the way I want to today. Listen, we got to stop judging the world with condemnation. When Jesus never did that, he saw them with compassion, told them the truth, and because it was done out of love, they followed him. Come on, folks. 
who he criticized was the religious folks. How many guys understand what I'm saying? Amen. So we have to start moving with compassion. Amen. It doesn't mean we don't tell the truth. We need to tell the truth because truth is what fixes things. But first Corinthians says that all things should be done out of love. In fact, if you're not telling the truth and you're not loving people, if you're not confronting people, you're not loving them. How do you understand? Amen. So as we look at this text, he's moved with compassion. And then he first, he wants to feed him. What happened right before this is that John the Baptist was beheaded. And so people are wondering, well, do we really want to follow this Jesus? We really want to follow this teaching. And Jesus sees him and sees that there are sheep without a shepherd, is what it says in Matthew. He's moved with compassion. And then when we see in, in, in Mark chapter 6, as well as John 6, he's moved with compassion because they have nothing to eat. They've been listening to him all day. And instead of going out buying stuff, uh, he says, let's feed them right here. And he partners with a young man with two loaves and two fish. This is what we're going to learn today. You guys with me? Four things I want to give you. The title of the message today is, there is enough bread. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, there is enough bread. There is enough bread. Point number one that we can learn from today in this is that Jesus will often use the unlikely to meet a need. Think about that. Jesus will often use the unlikely to meet a need. Here is this need, needing to feed thousands of people. And instead of taking up, listen, every pastor, I know what pastors do because the same thing I do. If we had to do a need like that, there's a problem around the world. We're going to come to you and we're going to say, we're going to pass out the offering buckets. We have an opportunity to meet a need. He had 5,000 men there. He didn't say, how many of you guys can give an offering so we can go buy some groceries? What does he do? He goes to a young boy who has, two, who has uh, uh, loaves of bread and fish. Just enough for his family. And he says, let's partner together. Now, how many of you guys know that that young man was supposed to be taking that home to his mama? But they called him out and said, why don't you partner with Jesus? You see, the reason this is important, the reason there's a principle here, is that often when we begin to see that God might want to use us for something, we begin to make excuses. How many of you guys have ever made excuses for why you can't serve him? How many guys ever made excuses about why you can't go out and do something for them? You don't come from the right town. You don't come from the right family. You don't have enough education. You don't have enough money. Listen, the list can go on and on and on. But as I read my Bible, God was really good at tapping the, soul, the, the shoulders of the insignificant to do something significant. Come on, folks. Think about it. I believe it was D.L. Moody on his deathbed. It says, if, God, if God's going to be a part of your dreams, then make your dreams big. Because God is capable of taking the insignificant and making it significant. We just have to be willing to say, yes, Lord. One of my favorite quotes, and I'm sure I've shared it with you guys here before, from my pastor. My pastor is 82 years old, still serving Jesus today. Just had lunch with him last week. And one of my favorite things that he says is this. Someone is waiting on the other side of your obedience. Come on, folks. Well, I begin to expand it. Somebody is, provision is waiting on the other side of your obedience. That's what we, we've learned. We just walked into a building project. <laughs> we had about 2,000 euros in savings. Had a little more money in our general account, but had about 2,000 euros in savings in our church. And uh, we were in desperate need, folks. Since the pandemic has opened up, the thing we've come back together. Uh, our campuses are exploding with growth. 
And we got to a place that got very uncomfortable. The children's ministry was saying, we need new space. We need something bigger. And they weren't being nice about it. We have too many kids. You know, our church is about, about 130 people all together. They don't always show up on the same time. That's pretty good, by the way, in Europe. It's pretty good in Brussels. And uh, we, we have anywhere from 40 to 50 kids a week in our children's ministry. And we only had two rooms for them. And so they're saying, we need to grow. So we began to look. We found the building. I just had this sudden peace that came over me. I had no idea how we were going to finance it. But we had 2,000 euros, and I began the negotiation process, believing God that if it's his will, it's going to come together. And I want you guys to know that when we began to be obedient, God's provision began to follow. And we're we're 30,000 euros in right now, and we're completely debt-free. Come on, somebody. I mean, we just had people. We had, we had people coming out of nowhere. One man gave us 15000 just called me up and said, I saw your Facebook post. I just sent you money. It's 15000 Come on, somebody. God's provision is waiting on the other side of our obedience. People are waiting on the other side of our obedience. We have to stop making excuses. You, listen, he's not looking for the highly educated He's not looking for, for, for those that are real popular. He's looking for those that will say, yes, Lord, I'll, I'll work with you. Uh, come on, folks. I just kind of realized when I read the scripture, you talk about Gideon's army. You, you all read that? Well, that'll, that'll make you shake in your boots. Time to go to battle. 32,000 men with me. Let's go. First meeting they have, 10,000 people were sent home. 22,000, still pretty good. God reduced it again. They got down to 300 men. You guys realize they didn't have a single offensive weapon. They had a torch of fire. They had a pot. And they had a horn. Now, if I was one of them 300, I'm going to tell you, they had 299 going. Come on, folks. Because <laughs> that's, all, that's all they had. But here's what the Lord said to them. The Lord said, this has to be done so that no man can take the credit. Come on, folks. This has to be done that no man can take the credit. So he will use the unlikely. He will use the one that you would never use. I never would have asked Peter to preach on the day of Pentecost. In fact, if I was one of the disciples and knew that he had abandoned Jesus in his time, that he denied him three times, I'd have said, God, what's his problem? In fact, I'd have said, God, what's your problem using him? But that's who God chose. He uses the unlikely folks. You know what that means? You're a prime candidate to be used by God. Come on, folks. Amen. Point number two. Point number two. It's often the bad ideas that work. It's often the bad ideas that work. (laughs) He's asking. We need to feed these people. I think it's interesting that Jesus said he, he actually asked the question to test him. He said he knew, within, he knew within himself what he was going to do. Jesus already knew what he was going to do, but he wanted to see uh, where, Peter, where Philip's faith was at. Well, 200 denarii is not enough. So Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, <laughs> he has an idea. He saw a boy with a couple, couple loaves of bread and two fish. He says, well, he has a couple of loaves of bread and two fish. It's not, a, not enough for this group of people, but it's an idea. How many of you guys know, this was Simon Peter's brother. If I was Simon Peter's brother, I'd say, Andrew, shut up now. Come on, you're embarrassing the family. 
But it's often the bad ideas at work. You guys understand what I'm saying? I have a friend every week at staff meeting, uh, he pastors in Lake City, Florida. Every week in staff meeting, he, he asks all the people to come with ideas. They have to come with a new idea for the ministry every single week. And, and, and he said it's kind of funny because some of the ideas are really, really bad. And so what they do, you know, they're from Lake City. You know, they, they do hunting and stuff like that. Any, any hunters here? So what they do is they, they, they visually cock their shotguns and blow those ideas out of the ground. Just blow it out. But here's what he said. He said eventually one of those bad ideas is going to be a God idea. Come on, folks. You got to be willing to think outside of the box. So it's even our bad ideas that can often be used for God. It's, it's often what we feel is insignificant that can be used for God. So one day, when we were, when we were youth pastors in McClenny, Florida, anybody know McClenny? McClenny, Florida. Listen, I used to coach basketball in Baker County, and we came up here one year, and we beat the snot out of Shanks. Come on now. I'm just going to. See, I'm, I'm sitting up here, and they can't get to me, Pastor. I can say that, all right? It was good because they usually beat the snot out of us, but we did it here in Tallahassee. Come on, the Lord is good. The Lord is good. <laughs> but I was in Baker County. And we were youth pastors. I was doing mission trips into Haiti. And so a lady in the church came to me one day, and she said, Pastor, I, I, don't, I don't have much, but what I do have is a skill to make clothes. And she said, I, I've been making clothes since your last trip to Haiti. And i got to be honest with you. I thought to myself, Oh, Lord, I'm going to be bringing polka dots and flowered shirts to kids in Haiti. But she had already done all the work. I took them clothes to Haiti, and we were at an orphanage. And I'm telling you, the workers at the orphanage were crying as they were putting the clothes on the kids. I was so moved, like because I just thought, that's the craziest idea in the world. Western thinking, Right. But this lady, every day for a year, began to sew clothes. She would buy material on discount. She took old sheets, and she began to buy clothes. It's often the bad ideas that God uses. Come on now. How many guys are with me? So it's often the insignificant, the most unlikely that he uses. It's often the bad idea it works. Simon Peter had a bad idea, but it ended up being a God idea. So often the bad ideas are the God ideas, and in fact, he's the one that's given it to you. And we know that because Jesus already said... It's already telling us that he knew in himself what he was going to do, but he was testing them. He knew that he was going to partner with that boy. But if someone named Andrew had to give the idea. How many guys are with me? Amen? So point number three is this. What we have to realize in this story is that what God breaks, he blesses. Now, if you go through the other, if you go through the other Gospels and see this, and I think it's in Mark, Mark chapter 6, you'll see that when he took those loaves and those bread, and that bread, that those loaves of bread, and he began to bless it. Here's what it says. He blessed it, and then he broke it, breaking it to distribute it. He blessed it, and then he broke it. I want you to see the symbology of this. Folks, years ago, and if anybody knows me well, you'll know, and I've mentioned already, that, that you know, I had a basketball coaching career. I, I worked in high school basketball. I started at John I. Leonard High School, my hometown uh, the high school I graduated from at 19 years old, went on as an assistant coach, 
and began to coach this freshman team and began my career in coaching at 19 years old. And then I went to Trinity Christian Academy and I started their high school basketball program. And then when I moved from South Florida, I moved to Baker County. I went on staff at the, with youth pastor, but still on staff with the coaching team there. And I ended up coaching there in, in total about eight and a half, nine years uh, that we were there. We won a couple district championships. We won a regional championship and went to the final four. Now, the reason I'm telling you that, because there was a season in my life that I was torn. Is it going to be basketball or is it going to be ministry? And, and, and folks, just let me say up front, and we teach our people that, that every single one of you, if you're a fire-breathing, devil-stomping, soul-winning, world-changing, turned-on-wild <laughs> kind of Christian, anybody like that? God's called you to ministry. Because ministry is not the one that holds the microphone. Ministry, it says, God, I'll be a voice. I'll be your hands. I'll be your feet. I'll, I'll, I'll be the encouragement that somebody needs. It, it wasn't always the pastors that impacted my life. It was my best friend's parents that loved Jesus with all of their heart, that showed me what love was, that began to minister to me. It was my high school basketball coach that was a born-again, tongue-talking believer that began to minister to me. So it wasn't always the pastors that impacted my life. In fact, <laughs> and some of the biggest impact came from people who weren't ordained ministers. You have to realize that ministry is influence, and the way God can leverage the influence you have over people for him is astounding. We just have to be willing to partner with him. And here I am struggling. God, I could, I could serve you on the basketball court. I could serve you from the bench. I could disciple 12 to 15 young men every season for you. And it's true, God can do that, but it wasn't his call for my life. I had opportunity, Pastor. I, we, we, we had a, 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 a basketball program in the state of Florida. I won't say the name of the school, but it was a private school, Catholic private school. They were pursuing me uh, to come on as an assistant coach with them. The, uh, the head coach started showing up to my games. I asked him what his problem was. I thought he was recruiting my players. He says, no, I'm recruiting you. I'm recruiting you. I want you to come work with me. And then uh, we, we had a university in South Florida contacted me through the Alumni Association and said, we're looking for a recruiting coach. We think you're the guy to do it. So I was at a crossroads in my life. And you guys have to understand, I love the game of basketball. Absolutely love the game of basketball. I think it, I love watching it. And I know I coach better than the guys on TV. Come on now. I mean, I'm constantly pointing out all their mistakes, right? And I, I heard very sincerely from God. It's a good idea. It's not my idea. And I had to let him break that dream in front of me. I had, to let, I had to watch him break it. And we began to walk in obedience to what he's called us to do. And I want you to understand this. <clears throat> what he breaks, he blesses. Because I wouldn't change anything in the world for the life that I have today. I wouldn't change it. When we're singing that song, Gratitude Today, it's one of my favorite songs, by the way, in this season of our life. <clears throat> I just begin to thank God sitting there for my family. We're all worshiping together. I begin to thank him for the work that I get to do every single day. I begin to thank him with a partnership that he allows me to be a part with his kingdom and seeing the lives and the churches that have been planted. I wouldn't change it for anything in the world. Here's what I want you to understand. You're going to have to die to yourself so you can live in him. You're going to have to give up your dreams that you have, stop inviting him to be a part of what you're doing, give it all up and say, God, how can I be a part of what you're doing and watch what he does? How many guys are with me? We're kingdom people. What have we learned in principle? We learned that he'll use the unlikely. We learned that he'll use bad ideas. We've learned 
that what he breaks, he blesses. But it's his last point that is my favorite. It's this last point that brings me to the landing of this message. <clears throat> Excuse me. The last point is, there's enough bread for everyone. There's enough bread for everyone. Think about this text that we read. <laughs> in fact, in John chapter 6, Mark chapter, uh, John 6, Mark 6, Luke 9, Matthew 14, all tell the same story, feeding of 5,000, taking loaves of bread and fish from the boy. <clears throat> but it says there was 12 baskets left over. Well, I began, as I began to read this a few weeks ago, I was reminded, well, there was a time that he fed 4,000, so I began to look it up. It's in Mark chapter 8. And, and he fed 4,000. And what I didn't realize at that point is he took seven barley loaves, he blessed it, fed 4,000. Again, men, so it's probably more than that that was there. But it said there were seven baskets left over. Let me tell you, the last 30 years of handling the word of God, here's what I've learned. When something is so detailed, pay attention. When something is so detailed, God's trying to say something. So when it specifically says there was 12 baskets left over, and then at another time when he fed 4,000, there were seven baskets left over, something told me there's something significant about the 12 and the seven. So I began to study it. Oh, what I found out. Y'all get ready to shout. Come on, get your dancing shoes on. Because here's what I found out. I began to dig, and it has to do not just with the number of baskets left over. It's significant, but it also had to do with the region that each of these things happened. So when he fed the, the, the 5,000, they were in a region of Galilee that was predominantly Jewish. How many tribes of Israel are there? 12. That 12 baskets symbolized one for each tribe in the Jewish nations. Come on, folks. Amen. Now, what about that seven? Well, when I began to look at the region of Philipp, uh, the region of Galilee that they were in with the seven baskets that were left over, here's what I found out. That was predominantly the Gentile region of Galilee. Now, why is that significant? If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 1, you'll see that God kicked out seven Gentile nations out of the promised land. Where did they end up? They ended up in that region of Galilee. So here's what I want you to understand. My Bible says that Jesus is the bread of life. My Bible says that Jesus is the bread of life. And what he was symbolizing to his disciples is that there is enough bread for all the Jews. And what he symbolized in Mark chapter 8, there's enough bread for all the Gentiles. And I'm here to tell you, there is enough bread of life to go to every nation around the world. There's enough bread of life to change the world. And what you, have, what you have to understand is the context of this. Because there was actually a debate at one time during that season that yes, the Messiah has come, but he's only come for the Jew. What was Jesus doing? He was conditioning their mind and conditioning their heart that he has come into all the worlds. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that he's come into all the world. And folks, if you don't come from a Jewish ancestry, you Gentile. Come on, folks. 
So if you're not Jewish, everybody else is Gentile. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus has come into all the world. There's enough bread to go through all the world. And he's called you and I to take the gospel around the world because he's the answer to every problem. He's the healer of all diseases. He's the deliverer of all problems. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. And he's called you and I. If he hasn't called you to go, he's called you to send. There's a movement right now in missiology. And there's an idea that says God is no longer sending missionaries. That we have technology that can reach the world. They're saying that there's no longer God is sending missionaries. Because now it's time to work with national leaders. What, do you, what happens when you live in a country that we live in? when it's 1.35% Christian and there's no national leaders ready to rise up. I'm on here to tell you, God is still sending the missionary and there's enough power in the gospel to still change lives. He's still sending the missionary into the world and it can happen right in this place. It could happen right in this place where God is calling some people, get ready pastor, these young people, how many believe that God could call some of them to the nations? It was years ago we sent Rachel to, what year was it, honey? 2016? We sent Rachel to the Awakening Summer Internship. She came back, went off to university. Her first trip back from university, she sat down with me and she said, Dad, I feel like God's calling me to be in the mission. She was studying psychology. I told her, you know, she went into psychology to figure out her dad. Come on now. But I'll never forget what she told me. She said, I have a desire for ministry because that's the way I was raised. But I have a desire for missions because of the awakening. So here's what I'm going to tell you. All of you, all of you, all of you parents who are sending your kids to the awakening this summer, look out. God might call them to the nations. Come on, Rachel, you guys are ready for him, aren't you? God might call him to the nations. And I'm here to tell you today, God is still calling. And perhaps it's not to the nations. Maybe it's to the people of Tallahassee. Maybe it's still to the unreached areas. And there are some unreached areas here in America. But we're not, what I'm here to tell you today is that someone's waiting on the other side of your obedience. And we have to allow God to teach us. That there, some of the people that you feel are insignificant, God's calling you to them. Some of the people that you don't like, might, God might be calling you to them. Come on, folks. Paul began to rebel against God. He began to persecute anybody who believed in him. And he did not like Jewish people that were following Jesus. So God blinds him in Acts chapter 9, sends a guy by the name of Ananias, a Jewish believer in Jesus, to go pray for him. What am I trying to tell you? God will use what offends you to correct your heart. He might call you to a place, to a people. And my advice to you is to obey. It leads to the greatest life ever. Is there someone that can just play some keyboards or is there any background music you guys have? My challenge to you guys today is let God be God. Put him first. Make him the priority. 
not just your services here, but your life. He's still calling people to the nations. He's still calling the church to send. Oh, there's a picture on my slide I was going to show you today. And it's a sea of people. It's a sea of people that we have from our service in November. We have seven churches in our network. Three of them, my wife and I actually are listed as elite pastors. We're raising up campus pastors at each location. We're eventually send them on their own. But right now they need mom and dad, that's Gretchen and I, to, to love on them. Go a couple more slides. Keep going. Keep going. This is our new building, by the way. One more. One more. One more. That's it right there, Vision Sunday. Look at that beautiful sea of people. I began to get all the pictures back from Vision Sunday. Vision Sunday is when we bring all three campuses together. This is only three of our churches, it's not the seven. This is only three of our churches. And when we bring, all, when we bring them together twice a year at Easter and on Vision Sunday, and Vision Sunday is when we begin to celebrate what God's done in the past, and we cast vision for the future. We have to rent this building to facilitate it all. And I began to look at that. Listen, guys, that's only the adults. Upstairs is full of children's ministry. And when I began to look at this about three o'clock in the morning on my laptop as it was sent to me, I just began to weep. Because that building started as a, that grew, that picture started as a conversation on my terrace what many thought was a bad idea. But we said yes. That grew into a home group meeting in my house. We went for about seven months in my house. And then we had our first service. We only did one Sunday a month. The rest were connect groups. Many thought that was a bad idea, Pastor. We were in a Subway restaurant. And is that where we were when you guys came? Were you in the subway? Okay. Then we got our first building. We went to our first building full time. We're in a very similar situation we're in now. It was, it was a little bit comical. We had a thousand euros in the bank in our savings. Folks, we truly are a nonprofit organization. Hallelujah. I'm sitting at the negotiation table and they said, we're going to need four months. Pause it. Now, do you have it? I said, it's in circulation. But I'm going to tell you right now, we had it the day we signed the contract. In fact, I'll go ahead and give the Lord a hand for that. I'll just tell you what happened. I, I had a plan. I was going to pull it out of my retirement funds to loan it to the church. In fact, we did give a significant loan to the church at the time. All alone, they never gave it back. Praise Jesus. But I got a text message in the middle of the night. The pastor said, and I'm just so excited what we were able to do for you guys. So I texted him back. I said, what did you do? He said, we sent you $11,000 last month. Thanks for telling the brother. They got tied up in our bookkeeping system. I didn't know about it, but God knew about it. 
Come on, folks. In fact, I'm just, I'm just grateful because when I said it was in circulation, I wasn't lying. It was in circulation. I didn't even know where it was being circulated at. God provided it. I look at that picture and I go, if we didn't send a missionary, we've seen transgenders come to Jesus. We've seen Muslims come to Jesus. We've baptized them. a missionary was sent he's still calling he's still calling I'm so grateful honey we said yes to Jesus I'm so grateful I'm so grateful that my kids are saying yes to Jesus <laughs> if you're in this place today I want to pray for two groups of people I promise we'll be over I know it's a little late but I want to pray for two groups of people if you're in this place and you're feeling like I have no hope I have no purpose I'm here to tell you that Jesus loves you with everything that he has in fact he felt it was important that you meet with him today that's why you're here oh I've been lost not having any purpose in life at 15 years old I gave my life to Jesus at 17 years old, I had to rededicate my life to Jesus. But baby, it's been nonstop ever since then. Oh, it's the greatest decision of my life. The second greatest decision of my life was marrying this lady up front. Last Sunday, we've been married 29 years. But if you're in this place today and you're saying, Pastor, I'm away from God and I need hope, I just want you to close your eyes for a moment. Let's just let this be between you and God and you're here in this place and maybe you've given your life to Jesus in days past, but you're not living for him today. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus, but you're lost and you feel like you're needing hope. Just know that God has led your steps to this place. He's led you here. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The person to the left of you, the right of you, in front of you and back of you, we all have sinned and fallen short of his glory. But I'm so grateful the Bible tells us that there's that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by him. Paul said it this way, he said, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, then we will be saved. You don't have to be perfect, you don't have to get perfect first. He loves you right where you're at, he wants to walk this life with you. So I just wanna ask if you're away from him today, but you're saying, I need to give my life to him, I wanna surrender everything to him today. If that's you, on the count of three, I just want you to lift your hand. Are you ready? One, two, three. If that's you, just lift your hand and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I'm just scanning the room, scanning the room, scanning the room. I want to give my life to Jesus. Anybody, 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 anybody? I just have to believe that everyone here loves Jesus. So let's move on to the second group of people. If you're in this place and you're saying, I love him, love him with everything that I have, but I haven't been inviting myself into his purpose. I've been asking him to be a part of my purpose. But today I'm saying, I wanna be a part of his plan. 
I realize that there's enough bread for the nations. I realize there's enough bread for my community. I realize there's enough bread for my city. I just want to be a part of what he's doing. And you're saying, I love him with everything I have. I just want to serve him. I'm, today you're saying, I'm willing, I'm willing and flexible, God. Send me where you're going to send me. Use me as you would use me. If that's you, just lift your hand right now and say, I want to be used by God. Thank you for those hands. Come on, just lift them and be bold about it today. I want to be used by God. I want to be used by God. Could I ask you just to stand up right where you're at? Just to stand up. If that's you, if you raise your hands, would you just stand? I want to be used by him. I want to be used by him. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I want to be used by him. In Jesus' name. Everyone else, would you stretch your hands out to these people? Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, for visions and dreams. Lord, we thank you, people. Lord, we thank you for the, the move in your lives and the hearts of these people. Lord, this is a place to find purpose. This is a moment, Lord, would you speak to them. Lord, they're surrendering their hearts and saying, I want to be used by you. So, Lord, we ask you right now, from my, from my left all the way over to the right, Lord, that you just sweep across. Lord, that their priorities, Lord, would be following your priorities. That your priorities become theirs. Lord, they would hunger for you. I pray a prayer that I've prayed so many times, Lord, to wake people up in the middle of the night and begin to speak to them. Lord, that they would find private places of worship, that they would just begin to surrender everything to you. So, Lord, we ask you, Father, just to begin to move. And, Lord, if you're calling him to the nations, open the doors, Jesus. <clears throat> open the doors in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand. Say amen. Amen. This big guy right here. Were you on the video? All right. I want you to lift your hands up. The Lord is going to begin to reveal scripture to you. You're going to see his word like you've never seen it before. And I'm just going to declare today, I feel very strongly about this. You're going to preach the gospel. You're going to preach the gospel. How old are you? How old? Good Lord, you're a big boy for 15. Don't ever be ashamed of him. I'm telling you right now, this is a moment between you and God because he's calling you out. He's separating you from the pack. Don't ever be ashamed of him. I, have, I don't know your story. I don't know where you come from. I don't know anything about you. But here's what I do know. You are good enough. You are worthy enough. God has called you. He's called you. Be bold. And let people speak into your life. Okay? Be bold about it. Be unashamed. All right. Awesome. Let's give him a hand. Come on. Come on. Amen. Come on, Pastor. Oh, God is good. Can we just give Jesus the biggest praise in the morning? Why don't you stand up? Come on, let's give him the biggest praise. Just stand up. Oh, we thank you. There is enough bread. There is enough bread. Thank you, Pastor Bill. God bless you. We love you, man. Appreciate your ministry all the time. You made it to the end of the message, and now what? Is God leading you to make a change? Are you needing a good church home where you can grow and help others grow as you fulfill your part in the body of Christ? Then we invite you to join us at All Nations Church on Sharer Road in Tallahassee a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Our Sunday morning service is at 10.30 and Wednesday night service at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For more information, visit our website, allnationstallahassee.com.